What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. We are talking to the 2020 NATA presidential candidates, Dr. Kathy Derringer and Dr. Katie Flanagan. So Carrie Wood is going to be kind of moderating this. So these are questions that have come from you, the membership of NATA athletic trainers, specifically asking these questions or these topics, things that you want to know about. And so we're going to ask those if you're watching live, type in those comments and we're going to do our best to get to them. We have a short window and we're going to get as much in as we can and then we'll go from there. So this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash presidential discussion. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash presidential discussion. So without much further ado, I'm going to hand it over to Carrie and we'll go from there. Thanks, Jeremy, for hosting this. Um, we thought it'd be a great idea for people to get their questions in, let some of the um, members ask some questions that weren't, um, you know, set up questions from NATA that were standard. And so trying to um, get some questions that we've looked on social media and I want to get these to the ladies. Um, we're going to go a little bit more casual. We talked about this before we went live. It's a little more casual. We're going to um, not give them time to you know, only a certain amount of time. And so we're just gonna kind of throw the questions out there, let, let them um, decide who wants to answer it or if they both wanna say something about it, which probably they will. But um, yeah, let's just get right to it. Um, hi ladies, I, um, as you know, I was fortunate to serve with both of you, um, Kathy, when I was on the board and then Katie was rolling on the board right when I was rolling off. So um, I feel like I know you both and um, and I'm, I might have my own answer to this, but um, just right off the bat, why don't you um, tell me what each of your, what, what you see your leadership styles as being like, and, um, and then basically what, what makes you, uh, let's just start right off with it. What makes you uniquely qualified to be our next NATA president? Katie, you want to go first? Oh, sure. I was. This is a double. I want both of I'm, you to answer this. No, sure. I'm, I'm used to the alphabetical difference. So I. Oh, <laughs> you're um, on my left. So I'm going left to right. <laughs> and it was in a lovely box for me. Thank you. Um, and thank you, Jeremy, for making time for this. I am uh, a multifaceted leader. I'm a participatory leader, but I also do everything I can to empower people working with me so that they have the tools and the skill set to be even stronger um, after we finish whatever project. Um, I like to do everything I can to make people better and challenge them. Uh, so maybe they could take my job at some point. That would be exciting. What makes me uniquely different? Well, I'm just gonna throw it out there. I am a practicing athletic trainer. I have been for 40 years. This is my game shirt I'm wearing in honor of a colleague of mine who died rather tragically um, yesterday. So I'm in solidarity to East Carolina, I'm wearing that. I work elbow to elbow with athletic trainers at the college setting. I am a educator. And so I think that being in a setting where I see what my preceptors, I'm with them. I know what's on their mind. I know what's going. I'm very flexible. And right now with this COVID going on, I could sit here and pontificate about everything I'm going to do, but you need a leader like me that can think on her feet. And when I have been in situations in the field, where things have suddenly gone south and you've got to make a decision with the best information you have at the moment, but also around it with evidence as best you can, I'm that girl. I've been doing it for 40 years and I really want to do it with this NATM membership. Awesome. Kathy? 
I would like to echo um, Jeremy. Thank you for uh, wanting to do this. Carrie, I appreciate you moderating. Um, so my leadership style starts with listening. Um, I am the type of leader who listens first. I don't have to be a leader who talks on every subject because I think if you're thinking about what you're about to say, you're not really listening to understand. And I like to listen to other people's perspectives. I don't pretend to know everything and I'm not going to know if I don't listen and listen with the intent to understand. I also am very high on communication and collaboration. Everybody has a voice. Everybody has an idea that they bring to the table and being able to work together is what makes us stronger. Um, and I also like to surround myself with experts. I, I don't know who coined this phrase, but, but I, I live it. Um, if I'm the smartest person in the room, I'm in the wrong room. I should be, have people around me who are making me better and who, who then can make everyone else in the room better. So having that opportunity, having that expertise makes me, makes me a better leader, person, um, contributor to that topic as well as everybody around them. Uh, what makes me uniquely, uniquely qualified? I've been an athletic trainer um, for 40 years as well. I started my career in the collegiate setting. When I graduated, I was um, convinced that I was gonna spend my entire career in the collegiate setting. And I, I did that for 13 years at division one uh, as an assistant athletic trainer at a power five university. And then as a head athletic trainer at a division two university. And in the beginning, I was the only athletic trainer at that division two um, university. So I did everything in addition to teaching classes. I took care of the athletes. I served as a faculty member. I was in the trenches. I remember riding home in the middle of the night after a basketball game that went into triple overtime, getting home at two in the morning and re realizing that I had to teach a class at eight in the morning and that I was going to have treatments at 10 in the morning. So being a part of that, being a part of treating an athlete in a, in a championship state game, um, fracturing his foot and having to tell him, I I'm sorry, you can't, you just can't play anymore. And he wanted to. So I, I've been a part of that and making those decisions. Um, now I'm in a, a clinical setting, but when I made that transition, I continued to be a part of secondary school athletics and, and serving as a contract AT and still continuing to do youth sports. So the diversity of my experience means that I understand what you as an athletic trainer is going through. And additionally now, I understand healthcare. I have a, a global healthcare perspective and that's who we are, that's what we are. Um, as we gain that notoriety and credibility in healthcare, you need that expertise. As we're navigating what's happening with COVID, what's gonna happen to everyone financially, the business acumen that I bring to the table, I think is also a huge advantage. And I'm not afraid of risk and I'm not afraid of opportunity. I move toward opportunity and, and try to capitalize on opportunities that are in front of us. So moving the profession forward, I think is, is something that I can do if I'm elected president. Thank you. Uh, we are gonna have some uh, talk about some financial stuff later. I do, I, I real quick, I do wanna say that was my question, but from here on out, these are not my questions, not, um, I don't want it to reflect on 
just there are just questions we've gotten off the internet from different people. So um, I just want to make that clear. I don't want to make anybody mad at NATA that I love so dearly. Um, so with that said, here's a couple timely questions that um, we've seen some. So there was some negative talk um, amongst members about how the um, communication or lack of communication went with the canceling of the um, annual convention and leading up to that. Now, those of us who are, have been behind the scenes know there's so much that had to go on prior to that, but I do want to throw out how, how, how will you use your um, position to communicate with our membership um, and if there is some other emergency or something that needs to get out immediately, or you know, how how would you how how would you plan to handle that differently, or maybe not differently? Up to you guys. I'm going first again. If um, you want, I, I will just uh, because I just did this with my district. Um, we are the fourth biggest district um, up here in District Three, uh, with six states. And right when COVID was starting, we were nine weeks away from our meeting. So as soon as I got back from GLADA, I reached out to all the leadership of our district and then the rest of the members and told them that I was worried about them, made sure they were safe, um, asked the presidents to really confer with me if there was anything that I could help or that I could pass along to AT's care or go for Ellis, any opportunities. But then we had a very purposeful, mindful, stepwise approach to how we were going to not only cancel, but the cancel motion came with the same message as we have this amazing opportunity for you. And I'll share it here. We're starting a week from Monday. Uh, we're offering um, a category A CEs for any NATA member on our web platform. So there'll be more about that. That's exciting. I think communication, transparency, and, and I came on and said, look, I don't know, but we will know and give us two weeks. And I promise you, um, I will do everything. And when I find out, I will tell you. Transparency and honesty is huge, and their membership is the most important facet of this. And anything I can do to make sure I'm transparent, our decisions are transparent, we're trying to be timely. And if we can't, I'll come forward and tell you why we can't be timely. That's just quite simply the way that I did it with our last district meeting that is going to be next weekend and how I would do it in the future with the whole membership of the NATA. Carrie, thank you for that question. It is a very timely question. Um, my my perspective is um, is also again more is very global in nature. I've I watched um, directors as well as President Lindley and Dave Sadler struggle with this whole issue. As you mentioned, Carrie, there are so many moving parts to this decision. Um, not the least of which are the contractual obligations um, of, of a meeting of this magnitude. And I don't even know all of those contractual obligations, but I can only imagine the difficulty that district directors went through as well as uh, the NATA staff and leadership in, in just looking at this entire situation and what can we communicate, what can't we communicate um, I do believe in the leadership and making sure that, that they're making the best decision for the benefit of the members, yes, but also for the organization. And there is that consideration as well. Um, my leadership has always been about transparency and communication. And, and again, that will be a big part of, 
of my presidency because that is so important. Um, so I, I applaud the very difficult decisions that had to be made. It would have, in an ideal world, every member would have known every step of the way. Uh, sadly, that wasn't practical in this case. And I'm sure that the membership was told um, when it was possible and when it was safe to do so. I trust the leadership in that decision that they did what was best, again, for the members and for the, and for the organization. Yeah, quick shout out to uh, Lori Marker, who's the head of the mm -hmm. meetings team at NATA. Boy, I said to somebody early on, if anybody, if I, if anybody <laughs> was going to lead that charge <laughs> with the dealings with the convention center, whatever went on, boy, I'd want it to be her. She is one tough cookie. Awesome. Um, so along that same line, um, I. I don't know, but maybe the NATA will face some financial difficulties because of the cancellation of this convention. Um, so do you guys see that affecting and that it will directly affect your presidency time? So do you see that affecting the membership and do you have any plans in addressing that? And I guess basically what what are your um, what is your background with any financial crisis that you faced and and how do you have plans to handle something like that if it arises? Hopefully it doesn't, but possibly. I fully expect the the NATA convention is is one of our revenue producers in the NATA, and and we know that there are a lot of members who are hurting financially. Um, there we have a number of ATs who have been laid off and are trying to rely on the unemployment system, um, relying on what they can pick up either through the, the go for ellis member resource or, or other things that they're able to do. Um, there is a financial crisis and I don't think the economic impact of COVID-19 has even begun to be recognized or realized. Um, I'm, I'm living that as a business owner. Um, our, our census is down upwards of 50 to 60%. So I'm living this. How do I deal with my employees? How do I deal with expenses? Um, my background as one as a business owner, I think lends itself to me already thinking about what are the potential financial um, implications of COVID-19 to the NATA as well as to our memberships. What kind of resources can we offer our memberships? I was the treasurer of the NATA when I served on the board of directors. So I have insight into what's, what's the NATA finances all about, what's available, what can we do, and how can we best um, maximize what's going to happen moving forward. My business background, I think, lends itself to a, a perfect situation where I can look at that information, make, up, make decisions that have to be made for the benefit, for again, for the bene benefit of the members, as well as for the benefit of the organization. So um, I, I believe in my uh, business acumen to help us navigate the results of COVID-19, positive and negative. Katie, would you like to add? Yeah, I'll just say uh, briefly, I'm, I'm one of those people that I own when I don't know something. Uh, math, uh, finances are, I have people for that. I'm smart enough to do that. The NATA has made fantastic decisions with their money. And they have not one, but several groups that actually manage their money. We have people not only on staff, but people that we rely on that have specialized companies off. So it's not one person making decisions. It's a group. As a board of directors member, um, you both know, we get to also vote on how the money is going to be spent and what's the biggest bang for our buck. 
I think going forward, the NATA is going to have to be very clever and very open-minded about how we keep attracting members. One of the things we did that was phenomenal, 350 athletic training undergraduate programs, um, they offered the ACES preparatory exam for the board for free for every single one of those students that was taking the test, which that's a lot of money the NATA could have brought in, but they wanted to give something to these students so that we felt that they would have a little bit of extra um, practice. And it's a member benefit, but we opened it to non-members too, with a, a promise that maybe you come back and become a member another time. So I think creative thinking like that, creative way to keep our members, and also really assuring that I trust our CEO and I trust that we surround ourselves with really smart um, financial matters and decisions, and the board is mindful of money. All right, thank you. Um, I wanna ask one more question that's kind of um, timely with COVID and what we're facing. Um, Jeff K asked, what suggestions do you have for athletic trainers to sustain viable employment due to the lack of sports? I, I cannot emphasize enough the importance of secondary school athletic trainer. They are a huge group, as are the collegiate and professional sports, but um, that foundation is still only um, a portion of our athletic trainers in general. So we do have a lot of certified athletic trainers that are still working and working great. I'm, I'm one because um, I also teach, but there are things that already the members, uh, the membership we've done for our membership in terms of getting um, Gopher Ellis up and running. And for those who don't know, Gopher Ellis is not only an app, but it's a member benefit where you can actually seek employment in your area. I got a phone call today from a coach who wants me to send him students to help cover some event in January, which no, I, I'm not sending you students. Um, if you're paying your referees, you can pay the athletic trainer. So things like go for Ellis are there. Uh, there are gonna be some repurposing. You might have to temporarily do something that maybe isn't a skill set that you want to brag about, but if it keeps you engaged and working in your particular setting, then I would do everything I can to keep that going. Personally, I teach, um, it's called, uh, it's a football class, but it's an equipment intensive class and I teach two of them in the fall. And it's how to put airways through the masks and all that. If we don't have football this fall, what am I going to teach? So I've been thinking about what I can do because they're not just going to keep me and not pay me to teach. I've got to figure out what else other skill set I have that I can contribute to. If we don't have football, our athletic trainers at ECU likely might not be working. So I think it's incumbent upon all of us to really think forward and the what ifs and then reach out to the NATA and see if we can help, see if there's things that we can do to help protect our members or empower our members. This is a, an incredibly difficult question and an incredibly difficult situation as we're, as we're looking forward and not knowing what's coming, what is our new normal as we're hearing more and more that is cliche. I, I think athletic trainers are the best at responding and reacting and finding ways to make it through these next few months, potentially without sports. But some of that is about advocating for yourself. It's about looking at our skill set and saying, what can I do? Where can I go that will maximize my skill set? Potentially not where I typically have been, but where else can that be? 
and that may be in a hospital or a clinic. It, it might be in a school, um, but without athletics, um, how, are we, how are we maximizing that? Can I teach in a different area? Um, can, is there a specialty in my background that I don't know about? Um, these are going to be difficult times. I, I do agree that there are resources um, at the NATA that we can tap into to help us hopefully get through this at the, at, in, as best we can. Um, but there's no, uh, admittedly, there's no great answer to that as we try to navigate everything that's happening as a result of this pandemic. Um, I think it's more, it's going to be about us relying on each other, being there for each other and providing any kind of help that, that we can help to get through all of this. Katie, you mentioned secondary school, so I'm going to kind of switch gears. We, um, Jeremy's got a large, and the sports medicine broadcast has a large um, uh, demographic in the se secondary schools setting, and so we've got several questions that kind of relate to that um, practice setting. Some people feel as if the secondary school setting has been pushed aside or has lack of attention to it right now due to so much focus on emerging settings and maybe some other ones. How can you guys help to have the secondary school um, setting have a larger voice? Absolutely. Secondary schools is, in, in my mind, one of the most important settings that we have. And, and here's why. Um, second, secondary schools is typically the time when a student athlete is introduced to an athlete trainer for the first time. And that introduction kind of sets the tone for how that student athlete is going to interact with athletic trainers for the rest of their careers. Athletic, if they continue in athletics, they'll, they'll interact with different athletic trainers, but they'll always remember that first interaction. So I call them the first line of advocacy. Um, but we also know that, that, that athletic trainers in the secondary schools are the ones that are typically most challenged with work-life balance and, and salary issues. And we know that 34% of the schools across the country don't have any access to athletic training services. So they don't even know who we are or what we do. How we can improve the secondary school setting is incredibly important to me. I was involved in uh, the secondary school value model. Um, sorry, my automatic light went out in my office. <laughs> um, <laughs> Power presentations along with uh, Larry Cooper years ago that basically brought the value model concept, how to collect data that is going to show your value to your, to your employers and to your communities. I was a part of that initiative because I thought it was that important. And it was always so energizing to see secondary school athletic trainers really get involved in that whole process. So teaching how to collect data, how to make that better is incredibly important. And then we, we talk a lot about medical decision-making autonomy on the collegiate level. I think it's just as, if not more important at the secondary school level, where typically the secondary school AT, it has to answer to the football coach, which is the biggest conflict of interest. So how can we increase medical autonomy at the secondary school is incredibly important. And then of course, pointing people to the resources that are available, the secondary school value model, the PPG, the PPG document, the PIG document, um, Atlas and PASS and all of those resources that are designed to assist the secondary AT 
in being as productive and as resourceful at that level as they possibly can. My, my goal is to improve communication with all settings. If elected president, I will be having monthly calls with the chairs of the settings committees or work groups in order to have that discussion. What's your mission? What's important to you? What do we need to do to make things better for your setting? Um, and that's a commitment that I, I will make in order to make sure that communication is going both directions. And I know what resources that particular setting needs in order to improve things for their members. So that's um, how I feel about secondary schools. Thank you. So if I can just chime in, we have six um, high schools that my, my students have access to. And they're, they're so fun because two are so rural and, and two are really, really big. So it's a, a really great breadth of things. My students go and they'll, they'll have a student athlete at high school that has blisters all the time. And they find out the shoes are three sizes too big, but they were their older brother's shoes and that's all they can afford. Or they don't dry their uniform and wash it between practices, they just air dry it. Um, so that there's, it, it, there's such a great value for my students to be able to go and see all the different things. And every student that has gone through a high school, especially the smaller ones, end up working at one they, because they love them so much. I agree that there are, uh, to me, they are the forefront, uh, especially our rural schools. These parents and, and, and um, people that are taking care of children don't have the money to send people to every specialty. So a lot of time, the only person they see is the athletic trainer. Is this a pimple or is it MRSA? I mean, is this a cold or is it something worse? And the athletic trainer becomes the gatekeeper. And it's appalling, appalling that close to 40%, 36% don't have access to one. So we can't let that slide and move on. A couple of years ago, I lectured at D6 about um, the sudden death and how to prevent them and that paper that came out. And everyone was very nervous about what I was gonna say as a professor, because I was talking about the kinds of things that you need to have. So yes, for concussion, you could have a Biosway, which is a $65,000 machine, or you could have an Erex, which is $35 piece of rubber. So you just have to figure out and work with people that can show you the continuum of what you need to be successful you need to make sure that we do everything we can as an organization to really push the secondary schools and get qualified athletic trainers in them as much as we can. As president, I would like to look at what we've done with what used to be emerging practice and is now practice advancement. What we used to do with CUATC and is now the Intercollegiate Council because the Intercollegiate Council for Sports Medicine has representation from division one, JUCO, Division two, AIA, everything. Instead of just having 10 members, one from each district. Why can't we do that with secondary schools? Why can't we take secondary schools instead of having one person speak for all of Texas and Oklahoma and Arkansas? Why can't we have representation from each size school or district, however that works? I mean, that should be investigated. So that voice isn't just a person who got appointed that represents your district, but as a person who raises his or her hand and say, I wanna speak for this population in secondary schools. With Atlas going on, which is where you basically say, I'm an athletic trainer and here's what I'm doing. The data they are gathering is phenomenal. I just submitted a paper with Atlas, with the Yukon people 
about lightning detection. Um, they're doing great things and it's just getting bigger. The secondary schools, very important on my watch and we're gonna do big things. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, another, on another topic of secondary schools, there is um, some perception that, and, and maybe start with you with this, Katie, because you are um, an educator. Uh, there are some perception that secondary school teacher athletic trainers maybe shouldn't be teaching secondary school um, students uh, sports medicine classes or how to do certain uh, basic skills. And um, we don't know if that's coming from the educators at the collegiate level or you know where that's coming from or what, what are your thoughts on that? And um, maybe how can you address that to people who are concerned about that or feel pushback? I think it comes down to data because I'm all for having uh, educational programming where you can take young people and introduce them to athletic training. And, and with the coming of our national advisors that are now, um, as the scholastic advisors get more and more information on health professions and athletic training, not only has a seat at the table, but they are on the national council. So we, they will be advised at the secondary school about nursing, physician, PA, and athletic training, that's huge. But having a course where you see the types of things that we work with and diagnose, I think is very critical. What I think is um, getting on the wrong line is when you have 14 and 15 year olds that parents and people watching from the outside perceive those students as being able to do the skill set that a qualified licensed athletic trainer is doing. And I think that's where there gets to be challenges. When you have an athletic trainer say, I couldn't do my job without my student aides, then maybe have your students aides help collect more data about the kinds of things that the athletic trainer is seeing and demonstrate their values so they have an opportunity to show administration they need more help than taking students and having them do athletic training skills. Now, can you have student aides? Of course. There's so many things students can do that can get their feet wet, they can start practicing athletic training in a very light sort of fashion, but not diagnosing and not making return to play decisions and not rendering care that should be left under the license. So it is sort of a catch 22. You need to get some of the athletic trainers that have been practicing a long time to help their students collect data to prove their value and their worth. So maybe you can get more athletic trainers and then the students can still learn about the field get a little bit of their feet wet, and then go on and become licensed and certified athletic trainers themselves. Kathy? I agree with um, much of what Katie said. I will also, however, um, submit that as, as high school athletic trainers, um, obviously they have a skill set of teaching because those are our preceptors in most educational programs. So they're very good at teaching or teaching those um, athletic training students, or they wouldn't be preceptors for that particular educational program. So they're very good at that. Um, having a, a sports medicine program in a high school, I think is important to introduce those students to health professions. So using something like NAHP that Katie mentioned or HOSA where students are introduced to health professions of, of varying degrees 
absolutely should be happening um, in, in the athletic training profession. But I do caution about um, teaching high school athletic training students skills that, are, that should only be practiced by a, a licensed professional. Uh, when, I, when I left the collegiate setting and went into the clinic and was recruited to do high school athletics um, at a, we call it a 3A school up the road um, from my clinic, they called me because they had uh, an athlete, a, a football player during practice one day suffered a spleen injury. And they had student athletic trainers attending to this athlete. There was no full-time AT, but they had someone that was teaching a class of sports medicine. This young man almost died because he wasn't properly attended to. And, and that's when I got the phone call to come out and to provide services for this high school. I had students, yes, that helped me, but they did not provide um, any kind of services that were deemed as part of our license. But yes, they can absolutely help with, with other things as well. And most importantly, they're exposed to the profession. They're exposed to how passionate we become about taking care of our athletes. And I think that's what mo that is most important. I have the utmost respect for secondary school ATs and what they're able to do at the high school level, including teaching. I think we just have to be careful um, what we're teaching those students so that the perception isn't that um, that student athletic trainer can do my job just as well as I can. And even though we know that's not the case, um, perception is sometimes difficult when you're trying to add staff and you're seeing those kinds of activities going on on the sidelines. So um, absolute respect as long as we're being, being very careful about the message that we're sending about the value of our services. Thank you for that. I hope I, uh, I, hope I got all the questions out there good from the secondary school's concerns um, and represented you guys well. Um, let's switch gears here. Um, Jill has asked, which I'm sure lots of people are asking, and you've probably heard this question already, but what is the plan for licensing in California? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jill, for speaking for a lot of people. <laughs> can, I, can I start that? Sure. You mind? Um, this is so, so dear to my heart. I'm a third generation Californian. Um, most of my seven siblings and my parents still live in California. It's um, appalling. I remember as a high school student in California where they made a rule that um, if you had a concussion at high school, that you had to get a note from a physician to return back. Now, to whom that note went, I have no idea, but someone had, false, had gone, had a concussion, a student, and came back and told someone else that they could play and the person died because they never saw a doctor. So I thought, you know, when I left the state to go to Oregon State to go to college, that we were on our way. Um, I, I think it will take a, a big powwow sit down, look at the people that you have that are advocating for you and making sure that California is hearing those people in the right way and that you're delivering a unified, unified message. Maybe it's time to shuffle things up a little bit and bring in fresh people, still from California, still with the messaging, but, but something's, if you keep doing the same thing over and over and over, 
and it's not going through, then it's time to pull back, circle the wagons and reconsider it. And I would love nothing better since my family's all still in California to get that licensure, please. Kelly? California is one of those states that has so many regulations and the, the mere thought that athletic training um, certify, or re licensure regulation has not gone through is, is, is quite odd. It's quite confusing, but I don't think it's for lack of the professionals who are trying to make that happen. Um, I know that circumstances in the last few governors, um, it's gotten to the governor's desk multiple times only to have it either not signed or vetoed. And, and that's largely political. The, the people on the ground in California are working so hard to make this happen. And through often, through no fault of their own, it's not going through. I, I also believe that our staff at the NATA has thrown everything they have behind helping making this happen as well. And while oftentimes you can't explain why it hasn't been why it hasn't gone through. I think in these situations, it's simply because of, of bad luck and bad circumstances. So pulling back, yes, and, and reevaluating, I think that's important, but I don't think it's because of the people involved. I think it's, it's just about continuing to be persistent. If we, if we look at many, um, states who have gone after licensure, they haven't gotten it the first time. They haven't gotten it the second time. And oftentimes they've had to go back over and over and over again. And, and we can't dismiss the fact that there are some organizations that are fighting hard against us. And we just have to keep pushing and collaborating and building those relationships with those organizations around us and with us and sometimes even our adversaries to make it happen for the protection of the student athletes in California. I think it'll happen. And I, I think we'll keep pushing forward and giving as many resources as we possibly can to make it happen. Thanks. Um, we only have about 15 minutes left and I've got several questions here. So I'm going to um, ask you respectfully to let's get real short, maybe short answers for these next few questions and just touch on them as best as we can. Um, so this one is important to me. I see a lot of negative talk on why should I be a member of the NATA, and I don't know how many non-members will watch this, but how, how can we, um, what, is a, what is one of your specific strategies for maintaining NATA membership? What do you feel is your number one selling point for being a member, and how would you help members who are maybe kind of on the fence, how do you help us convince the non-members or on the fence members on why we should be members? I'll, I'll start. So okay. I, I think I think the NATA is very good at providing PR for the profession. And sometimes they're not as good about providing PR about what we do as a membership organization. So the first step I would say is we've got to do a better job of communicating to our members about all the things, all the resources that we have and making sure, sure that those are at the members' fingertips at a moment's notice. That information is easy to get to, easy to access, and easy to apply when we need it to apply. Um, and moving forward, I think that's all about communication. That's all about marketing. That's about making sure that our members know what we can do for them, how we can make their professional and their personal lives better. 
and communicating that as effectively as possible. I think I answered all those questions. Good, and it was quick. Yes. Thank you. I'll okay. Be <laughs> I'll be really short. Um, I think we should uh, send <laughs> our strategic partner with the BOC and, and send out um, a flyer or an email or something because the BOC has every um, at least certified member, certified person, uh, an athletic trainer. And just uh, two quick things, a little spreadsheet with bullets, um, why us, and then flip it over and why now? And all the different things that we have as an organization that we bring to each person individually and why now, why it matters. So I think that would be something that we could do. People have no idea how amazing things are on the webpage and how many opportunities that we have. You can get lost. Yeah, you can get lost on that page. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so a couple questions about diversity. So one, um, how, what, do you have any plans to expand the diversity in the um, profession? Absolutely, positively, yes. We have nearly tripled our membership in the last 20 years, but we've only gone up 3% in, in diversity, whatever um, that would mean to an individual. Um, even, even my dear friend who just passed, Tracy Yoshikira, she is an Asian woman, was an Asian woman, who was passionate, passionate, passionate about athletic training. But she would always point out the fact that she was the only person like her. And, and she was absolutely right. There are no scholarships in EDAC or anywhere else for people from Asia. There, there's a lot, there are opportunities for other kinds of people. So why don't we start really acknowledging who our young people are and who our members are that are diverse and diversity is everything to me. And why don't we start a campaign to get other members lifting these people up and putting them in the limelight and getting them in leadership roles. It, it's 2020. I, I've never been around so many white people in my whole life when I came out here to East Carolina and I don't apologize for saying that. Diversity wins. I'll do everything I can to make sure we have amazing, fantastic driven people who are also diverse in the NATA and in leadership roles. Kathy? What an incredible initiative that we have to get behind. Um, diversity makes us stronger and it's not just ethnic diversity, it's all kinds of diversity, women, men, uh, LGBTQ, um, and of course, ethnicity. When, when we look at our leadership makeup, uh, you know, our the NATA is, is a little over 80% Caucasian. That's our membership stat, which means that from an ethnic standpoint, if you look at our leadership, yes, the board meets that, um, that percentage, but if you look throughout all of the leadership in the NATA of committee chairs and task force chairs, they do not, we're not even close. So the question becomes, these people are being chosen into leadership positions. Why aren't more people of, of ethnic diversity being chosen for those leadership positions. And I think that's a part of us becoming aware of our innate biases. We do that through cultural competency training. There should be um, that type of training to the board of directors and to every committee and to every committee chair. So we learn to look outside of people who look like us when we're choosing people for leadership. That's how we increase leadership. And then younger members have those mentors who are in positions of leadership who then aspire to do the same thing and may join the profession. But I go back also even back to high school and making sure that there is ethnic diversity in, in high school athletic trainers, as well as throughout all of the HOSA that we already talked about and making sure that there's ethnic diversity in those types of programs for people to look up to. If we have those mentors, then you have 
students, both in high school and collegiate, who want to also aspire to be a part of our great profession. So it's, I think it's all about making sure we start, we look at ourselves first to see what it is about the NATA leadership and how we can make that more, more diverse in every aspect, in absolutely every aspect. I know you both have been supporters of um, women in athletic training for many years. And Kathy, I think you may have been on the original Women in Athletic Training Committee. Um, I was. So do you feel, this is uh, an interesting question, do you feel that the women's issues and concerns are still relevant today in the profession? Well, yes, I was. Thank you for mentioning that, Carrie. I was on the Women in Athletic Training Committee, and, and we looked at opportunities for women. Um, I also, my doctoral dissertation was on the perceptions of women in um, and how they felt about opportunities for both leadership and for award recognition. Um, so being able to look at that through that lens gives me a unique pers pers perspective of how things were how things have been and how things are now and going to be. I, I think issues for women are relevant when you look at, again, the membership is 56% women. We don't still have that representation throughout leadership. So while I don't think we need to beat the drum for women's rights, I do think we need to be cognizant of that and that as women, we continue to lift women up um, and empower them into positions of leadership so that they can find their way as mentees to becoming leaders themselves. That's my biggest, um, my, my, cha my challenge, my goal as a leader is to create more leaders. And, and this is a big part of it. Katie? I would like to say it's more of a people issue because if you say women, you are boxing people into um, a gender identity that people may not, um, not all have. And so, you know, you have male and you have female and you have a continuum. And so I do think a lot of the things that are coming through, you're talking about childcare and, and spousal support and care and taking care of family, be it old or young, um, work-life balance. Those aren't necessarily only about women. They are about people. And so I think there's a lot of issues that we could all uh, look at and that we could address and see if there is a a segment of the population or if there's a, a particular issue work-life balance there's something which is we have a great paper out on that now um, that we as a membership organization can address to make sure that all of our members feel inclusive and not segmented necessarily to just people who identify themselves as women thank you um i i would love to get one more quick question in and then give you both the chance to just say your closing thoughts um Adam has asked, do you have a plan for um, growth of the athletic training profession in rural areas? Kathy, go ahead. I would say it's all about advocacy and, and finding a way to get, um, having the, the collaboration with the, with the NFHS and with the National Association of School um, High School Principals and getting, being able to get in a room with that group and talking to them about what we can bring to any high school, but especially that rural high school where um, it is lacking in athletic training services. That it would be about reaching out to those organizations and getting in the room with those decision makers to help create those positions for athletic trainers. 
And I would agree. We, we have very, very, very rural areas in Eastern North Carolina where you don't see um, schools pop up. They're very, very independent. But what we've done here out in Eastern North Carolina is we have found, you know, the Doc Martin or the physician that happens to be the only doctor in, in a huge area. And we've hired athletic trainers through that practice. So now you have a medical model. You have athletic trainers at the high schools and they are, are likely going to see the same doctor because there's no one else around. So I agree with Kathy. There's lots of ways to do this. And when you empower the local people and you also bring in big organizations, it'd be amazing what could happen. But we have got to get medical services out to those rural high schools, especially for the reason I mentioned earlier. If, if you don't have access to or can pay for a doctor, having an athletic trainer, game changer. Jeremy, was there anything that um, has come up live that we can throw out or not quite out of time? Paul Rupp, Ted Hirschfield, Jim Berry, they're all just commented saying thanks for everything you do and for uh, for doing the podcast. But so they want to say thank you for y'all for joining and, and sharing and answering some more of their questions. Katie, um, Kathy went first last time. So if you want to just anything you want to add that we didn't touch on that you would like to throw out there, just uh, last minute thoughts, I guess is. Well, thank you for this platform. As you know, um, Kathy and I saw each other at GLADA and, and we gave each other a hug goodbye and, and we didn't know that we weren't going to see each other the next week and the next week and, and again in Atlanta. So thank you. Um, I, I just want to be really um, raw here for a moment and, and just say that as president, I don't pretend, I wouldn't pretend to know everything at all. We don't know what's happening in two months or six months. We don't. We don't know what next year is going to look like, but I promise you, I, I am flexible enough and have enough of background and enough smart people around me that we can be not only reactive, but proactive. And we can move this membership forward and we can stay together and we can fight and we can figure out ways to make whatever's thrown at us become a positive in the long run. So there's a lot of things I would love to tell you I'm going to do. Um, and you'll read about them in the NATA news. But we don't know what's going, going on with COVID. So I can promise you, I will listen to you. I will move forward. Um, I'm here at home, like most of you are working. I don't know what's happening in my career in the future, but I think together as an organization with a strong leader, we're going to be great. Thanks, Katie. Kathy? So there, there have been a lot of questions today about settings and gender and ethnicity. Um, and I think those are all very important questions because there are different parts of our membership that have real concerns for them as a subgroup. But I think the most important thing we have to remember as an organization is, is to be unified in everything that we're doing. This is out about the profession moving forward. And while there are some groups that have very special concerns, very unique concerns and very real concerns that we have to address as an organization, we have to be together as, as professionals, regardless of setting, regardless of gender, and while addressing those concerns, continuing to move the profession forward. We've come so far in the last 60 years as a profession, from um, the shoebox that we've heard so much about, to being a bona fide healthcare professional. And we still have a, a, a great things ahead of us as a profession. No, we don't know what's coming, what our new normal is going to be as a result of COVID. But I know one thing, as a profession, we will be incredibly strong. We will continue to be on the front lines 
And we will continue to take steps, being proactive, making decisions, moving into the future and doing everything we can to protect our patients, regardless of whether they're in a high school or whether they're in a physician's practice, because that's who we are. We're about patient care and taking our skill set to different types of patients <coughs> who will benefit from them. And that's what I know as a profession we're going to do. As, as NATA president, I will lead us into that future of diversity and forward thinking and taking us into healthcare. So our, our professional and our personal lives will continue to improve. And I hope you'll let me do that. Thank you. Um, I just, my last thought is I wanna encourage um, all members, if you're watching this, please um, you know, listen and get as much information as you can and please have a voice and vote when the time comes and pass it on and encourage your, your uh, colleague down the street to vote as well because it's very important. Jeremy? All right, so this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash presidential discussion. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash presidential discussion. So Kathy, Carrie, Katie, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, what's going to be the best way to do that? So Carrie, what's going to be the best way to get a hold of you? Carrie.wood at redmondschools.org. All right, Katie? I have uh, both my Facebook and my uh, Twitter. It's my name, Katie Flanagan AT is Facebook. Uh, Twitter is uh, Katie Flan AT. Um, and my last name, Flanagan K at my university. So Flanagan K at ECU, East Carolina, go Pirates, dot edu. And Kathy. Also have um, social media under my name, Kathy I. Deringer, D-I-E-R-I-N-G-E-R. My uh, email address is k-i-d-i-e-r at ddsportsmed.com. Um, I can be reached in any of those and happy to communicate. All right, so it has been fun. And um, I'm going to ask you guys about this later on email, but just know that I have another one of these that I would like to do with you guys, oh, but it's going to be something completely different. So look out for an email, you two, um, about another presidential discussion that I would like to have with you guys. Oh. And then so anybody listening, look forward to that as well, as, as I think it'll be a lot of fun and something that really just just be good. So for Jeremy, Carrie, Kathy, Katie, and the Sports Medicine Broadcast, again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com is presidential discussion. That is a wrap. Thanks. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks, Jeremy.